It's Wednesday, April 3rd. Welcome to Skim This. We're breaking down the most complex stories of the day and giving you the context on why they matter. Today, we're taking a look at Sharia law. The country of Brunei is going medieval, with new laws they say are based in Islam. We'll connect the dots on what Sharia actually is, why it isn't interpreted the same way everywhere, and why Brunei is facing some fierce backlash around the world. Then, tomorrow is NATO's 70th birthday, but it's not exactly a party. The head of NATO is in D.C. talking through some issues. We'll give you the details. Finally, it's less than two weeks till tax day, and a lot of people are seeing red. We're here to make your Wednesday smarter. Let's skim this. Support for today's episode is brought to you by Dunkin'. They've got a whole new line of signature lattes, Blueberry Crisp, Caramel Craze, and Coca Mocha, which is good because we've got a lot of news to cover. Sipping is believing. The most confusing question today is about Sharia law in the country of Brunei. You're hearing a lot about Brunei today from celebs like George Clooney and Ellen DeGeneres. They're protesting the really harsh punishments Brunei is imposing as of today. Things like stoning to death for gay sex. Brunei says it's using Sharia law to set these punishments. Sharia is like a moral code for how to live your life according to Islam. So people are talking about Sharia and wondering whether other Muslim countries are going to go back to these draconian punishments. So today, we're going to get into what Sharia actually is, why it's misunderstood, but also how interpretations of it can lead to what's going down in Brunei. Okay, so in Arabic, Sharia literally means the path to a watering hole. It's often called law, but Sharia is actually more like a code of conduct. It's derived from the Muslim holy book, the Quran and the Sunnah, the precedent of the Prophet Muhammad. They tell you how to be a good Muslim and get into heaven. Things like praying and fasting, taking care of your parents, how to greet your neighbors, rules around marriage. Sharia recommends monogamy, but also how to brush your teeth. It's pretty much everything. There's a similar thing in Judaism. It's called halakha. Catholics have a version too, the magisterium. To be clear, Sharia isn't a list of rules with specific penalties that Muslims can refer back to and say, oh yes, this person gets 50 lashes. But those corporal punishments like stoning, amputations, and the like, they're a small part of Sharia too, just like they are in a lot of old religious texts. An eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. That's straight out of the Old Testament. So Sharia is a set of guidelines for how to be a good Muslim. But these rules are also open to interpretation. And people and countries interpret Sharia differently. The Sultan of Brunei announced that the country would be further implementing Sharia law back in 2014. Now it's happening. And in Brunei, that means women who receive abortions can be publicly flogged. People who steal could have their limbs amputated. Rape or adultery or robbery or insulting the Prophet Muhammad could mean death. The big thing most of the headlines are talking about today is what we mentioned before. Death by stoning for people who participate in homosexual acts. Homosexuality was already illegal in Brunei. Now people could be killed for it. Brunei is not the only one. Saudi Arabia also has a really strict interpretation of Sharia. Their law also says that homosexual acts are punishable by death, but judges often hand down flogging or jail time instead. But in other countries with large Muslim populations like Nigeria, there's something called a dual legal system. There's a secular judicial system, but Muslims can also go to Sharia courts for things like divorce and other family disputes. 
And in other countries, interpretation of Sharia can be applied in ways that seem random. Last year, a state in Malaysia sentenced two women attempting to have sex to be hit with a cane. It was the first time that's ever happened in Malaysia. Now LGBTQ residents of other Muslim-majority Asian countries nearby, like Malaysia and Indonesia, are worried their countries will follow Brunei's lead. So how are people in the U.S. reacting? Most scholars are quick to point out that according to Sharia, Muslims should follow the law of the country they live in, wherever they are. For example, Sharia doesn't tell Muslims in the U.S. that they can break U.S. law. That memo hasn't reached everyone, though. In 2017, lawmakers in 14 states introduced laws banning the application of Sharia law in the U.S., even though that's not a thing because separation of church and state. But the U.S. government is reacting to Brunei's new laws. A State Department spokesperson said last night that these laws go against Brunei's human rights obligations and that the U.S., quote, opposes violence, criminalization, and discrimination targeting vulnerable groups, including LGBTI persons. So what's the skim? On a global level, other countries are super ticked off about Brunei's new laws, not just the U.S. Germany, France, and Britain have all denounced these laws, too. The UN urged Brunei not to implement these cruel and inhumane punishments and not to go back to executing people, which it hasn't done since the 50s, although someone was sentenced to death in 2017. And like we said, celebrities like George Clooney and Elton John and Ellen DeGeneres are up in arms. They're calling on people to take action in a surprising way by boycotting hotels like the Beverly Hills Hotel and the Hotel Bel Air in LA. The reason? Those hotels are owned by a company that's owned by the Sultan of Brunei, the guy who's implementing these new laws. Celebs are calling on people to respond to these harsh laws by hitting the Sultan where it hurts, in the wallet. There's nothing like feeling fancy without draining your bank account, getting fresh flowers, saying keep the change, putting on a face mask, or sipping on Dunkin's new handcrafted signature lattes. With flavors like Blueberry Crisp, Caramel Craze, and Coco Mocha, they'll have you feeling pinkies out all day. Sipping is believing with Dunkin's signature lattes. America runs on Dunkin'. Price and participation may vary. Limited time offer. So there's a big birthday coming up. Tomorrow marks the 70th anniversary of the North Atlantic Treaty Organization, a.k.a. NATO. And NATO Secretary General Jens Stoltenberg is celebrating with a visit to Washington, D.C. The U.S. has been part of NATO from the beginning, but in the past few years, the relationship has been kind of tense. And Stoltenberg's visit was actually kind of controversial. So why is that? First, President Trump is not exactly NATO's biggest fan, and he hasn't been subtle about it. Before he took office, Trump called NATO obsolete. He said it was unfair to the U.S. And at last year's NATO summit in July, he called other members delinquent. His takedowns got so bad that NATO decided to downgrade this year's summit, which was originally scheduled for tomorrow in D.C., to a meeting of foreign ministers. So that's why the Big 7-0 is so low-key. Just drinks with friends after work this year. Some foreign leaders were apparently worried Trump would use a big summit to go on the attack again. But when Trump met with the Secretary General Jens Stoltenberg yesterday, he kept it pretty light. But he still called out some NATO countries. We've worked together on getting some of our allies to pay their fair share 
It's called burden sharing. And uh, as you know, when I came, it wasn't so good. And now it's they're catching up. This is Trump's main beef with NATO, defense spending. He wants other countries to pay more. There aren't membership dues to be a part of NATO, but every member country has to be ready to fight in case of an emergency. In 2006, they agreed as a group that every member country would spend at least 2% of their GDPs on their own national defense. But in 2016, only five of the 29 NATO countries were hitting that mark. You should know Trump isn't the first to call other members out. President Obama did it too. So did George W. Bush. But Stoltenberg says Trump's repeated criticisms and his veiled threats to pull out of NATO have gotten results. Member countries have recently budgeted an additional $100 billion in defense spending. Stoltenberg says Trump is, quote, having a real impact. But European leaders are kind of annoyed that he's getting credit for their spending. But just because Trump wasn't laying into NATO doesn't mean there wasn't political tension. Today, Stoltenberg became the first NATO head to address a joint session of Congress. And he had a unifying message. The strength of NATO is that despite our differences, we have always been able to unite around our core task, to defend each other, protect each other, and to keep our people safe. But there's a backstory. Speaker of the House Nancy Pelosi had announced his speech before he had even accepted the bipartisan invite from Congress. Neither Democrats nor Republicans have been too happy about President Trump talking down NATO. They forced Stoltenberg's hand on the speech and on arranging a meeting with Trump. They wanted to give the NATO chief a chance to talk about the challenges the alliance faces and why it's still important. If you want to know even more, we've got an audio deep dive on the history of NATO in our app, wherever you get your apps. So it looks like red may be the new black, at least for tax season. Turns out that a lot of people who are hoping to get a refund check might have to be sending in a payment instead. One in five taxpayers ended up owing the IRS this year. A new Nerd Wallet survey says those people had to pay back a little over 2,000 bucks on average. Of those people, about a third were double bummed. Last year, they received a refund. This is the first test of a big tax bill that was passed more than a year ago. It was supposed to cut taxes so that middle-class families could keep more of their paychecks. And the people who did get a refund from their taxes ended up getting more than they expected. And millennials got the biggest refund, more than $3,000 on average. If you haven't done your taxes yet, it's crunch time. The Skim has a bunch of tips to make taxes less scary. Check out our guide on our website, theskim.com slash skimmoneytaxes. Before we go today, we've got a fun fact coming to you from Spy School. This weekend, a woman from China tried to get into President Trump's Florida resort, Mar-a-Lago. She wasn't super slick about it, but spoiler, she still got pretty far. First, Secret Service agents let her into the resort. Mar-a-Lago security said her last name matched the name of an existing member. Nice. And then she got onto a shuttle to go to the next screening checkpoint. And then that's as far as she got. She told the receptionist that she was going to an event and that she was there early to look around and take some pictures. That event didn't exist. Real James Bond. It turns out she was carrying four cell phones, an external hard drive, a laptop, two Chinese passports, and a thumb drive with malware. No sunscreen. Yeah, that sounds like a totally normal packing list for a resort trip. 
And that's all for Skim This. Thanks for joining us tonight, and we hope you'll catch us again tomorrow. Be sure to hit subscribe if you haven't already and leave us a review wherever you get your podcasts. We love to read them. And don't forget, you can even subscribe to our morning newsletter, The Daily Skim, via text. Just text SKIM, S-K-I-M-M, to the number 66866. It's everything you need to know to start your day right in your inbox.